a Podcast One production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. So like myself, if you don't know much about the $4 billion gaming market, you're in for a treat. I bet you didn't know this, 68% of the adult population are gaming, the average age is 33, 48% are women, didn't know that. And most interesting is that unlike the broader cultural trends we're seeing for things dumbing down and attention spans shortening, gamers love complexity, they love long, hard challenges, and they've got time to kill. So welcome today to Aaron Younger, who is the Xbox category manager at Microsoft, Lee Owens, head of brand strategy at Twitter, Jess Hodgson, who's the Xbox community manager at Bastion Effect, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things, including the world's first Twitter-powered gaming engine. Welcome, gentlemen. Aaron, let's start with the big picture on gaming. What is happening? I think there is, it's about a $4 billion sector and it's in growth. Just tell us what's been happening for the last 12 months at least and where things are going in gaming because there's a lot of stuff happening, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, right now I think we're getting very much focused on the transition to the next generation. So this current generation of consoles defined by Xbox One, PlayStation 5 and loosely the Switch is coming into its Which is Nintendo, right? Correct, yeah. It's a Nintendo Switch, correct. It's coming into its eighth year. So it's it's long. It's probably the longest cycle I think we've seen in gaming. Uh, And the anticipation now is building towards what will be the next generation in 2020. So I think the the goal at the moment from Sony is that they'll have their new console, PlayStation 5, in market before holiday. So that's before Christmas next year. So about 12 months out. And then Xbox has its project Scarlet in development as well, also promised to be out before holiday 2020. Well, we were talking uh, earlier about the the change or the mix of usage in consoles because mm. it's just not about gaming anymore. There's obviously they're turning themselves into entertainment hubs. That's been talked about for some years, yep. but it's getting real. Is that is that what's happening? Yeah, I think this generation we've seen that really take hold um, more than the previous generations. I think the consoles now have become very much the, the centre of your entertainment universe, at least in a home environment. Um, they're no longer just niche sort of gaming devices as they were once perceived. I think now with the uh, adoption of, of Netflix, Spotify, Stan, more recently Disney+, Plus, Foxtel, KO, your, your consoles have all the apps that are accessible on every other device. So, I mean, for me personally, like it is the centre of my entertainment universe. If I want to watch Foxtel, my Xbox console's on. If it's YouTube, my console's there. So it's it's my go-to device. Um I think for a lot of people that that's now really sort of commonplace, at least in the living room. This is also a bigger trend that you've seen, Aaron, with portability and what Switch has done, and that's where we may see some changes in the console market, more portability. Just explain how it got traction, what's the, how that usage is going. So that is the introduction of console streaming and xCloud, and I think that's one of the things that will be defined or will define this generation is is cloud gaming. And the cl- and the, simply the cloud just allows the portability so it can be on the go. That's what you. That's the under, underpinning uh, premise. Yeah. So, I mean, what it does is it, it takes my gaming experience, which, you know, for me is traditionally in a living room and allows me to play on the go. That's really where we see, you know, a massive change coming within the industry. You know, it's really not that far away. 
So what does a community manager do in, in gaming and how do you keep people happy? It's probably the, uh, the oh, big challenge. Oh, you can never keep people happy. <laughs> um, I, have, I mean, community management is the most vague title for 17 different jobs uh, and it changes depending on where you're working. Um, for me specifically, I've always kind of thought of it as like herding cats in a thunderstorm. Um, but the the core of community management for me is is twofold. It's It's being the voice of the company to the community, but more importantly, the voice of the community back to the company and being able to kind of flag those, you know, issues, whether it's launch issues with a game or whether it's, you know, um, fear about, you know, connectivity and, and internet availability moving into the future. Um, but really it's, it's being on the front line and empathizing and sharing and being excited about things with the people that are excited about them. You mentioned the expo in LA, and I guess this gets us to the conversation in which Xbox and Twitter came up with a, a fairly groundbreaking initiative this year for the um, the Australian market. So, and Aaron, just talk us through. This is uh, based off uh, an initiative that Xbox does with PAX, which is the biggest uh, gaming expo in in Australia, based in Melbourne. And how many people go? The audience this year is 70,000. I haven't got my data sheet right yeah. in front of me, but it's it's pretty close. They've been um, smashing it for the last five years. It's been a phenomenal expo, Penny Arcade Expo, PAX for short. Uh, started six years ago in Melbourne at Out of the Race Courses, and more recently it's moved into Jeff's Shed and the expo down there in, uh, in Melbourne City. But we've been committed to that expo from the very onset. I think for us it's um, it's been a great opportunity to engage with fans, obviously, at the expo, but one of the things that, you know, we've focused on over the last, like I'd say the last five years is how do we, you know, engage fans beyond the expo walls? I mean, we're getting 70,000 people through. We're probably on average touching uh, five, 10, 15,000 people through an experience at the actual event with our booth, but um, we want more, you know, and how do we, how do we reach fans beyond the realm of, of just the expo itself? You know, those people that aren't fortunate enough to make that trip to Melbourne and, and spend time at the expo. How do we contact them? How do we reach out to them? How do we engage them? And I think that's where, you know, Jess and, and Lee can probably talk more to, to what we did in terms of gamifying the experience. But um, I think all we've focused on is really in terms of innovation around that expo year after year after year. And I think this year was by far and away our best experience, at least in terms of being on floor, but more so from what the guys were able to accomplish uh, with Twitter at the event. Well, let's find out about this um, uh, world-first uh, Twitter-powered gaming engine, if I got that right, Lee. Did I get that right? Yeah, it's a bit of a working title that we sound – we loved it first, but it's kind of uh, something, I guess, that's just – Oh, well, I like it, so let's stay with it for today, shall Sounds we, good. at least? Um, so just talk us through, gents, um, how this came about. Just where did, where did it start? So we looked at some back-end uh, kind of functionality with Twitter for a couple of competitions that we'd run in the past. Um, a lot of the kind of, you know, retweet or, or hard to, to enter um, or to remind about an event that's coming up later. And we're always kind of looking at what can we do next because these are, are still somewhat passive kind of um, engagements. Um, one of the ideas that got tossed around a room was well, how about we come up with, you know, an engine that – you throw a couple of emojis at it and it recommends you a game based on that. Um, with Xbox Game Pass, for example, we wanted, we were looking at running, you know, there's there's over 100 games uh, for console and, and PC. Um, wouldn't it be cool if we could have, you know, two emojis that you throw out and Game Pass comes back and says, based on those emojis, this is the game you should play. Uh, and it actually kind of spun out of that initially. Um, 
that seemed like a lot of work because we'd have to come up with you know, 100 different emoji combinations. Uh, so we thought, how can we do something fun with the least amount of work possible? Uh, and when with PAX coming up, we thought this would be a really cool way to, to bring in you know, three or four different kind of ways of engaging people with you know a hashtag with the emoji combinations um, with QR codes for example um, how can we link all that together and turn it into a, almost like a, a scavenger hunt um, which became the the Twitter hunt ad packs the key point here though is that what you what Xbox wanted to do with Twitter is engage in the expo online offline and get a geographic spread around the country that's sort of the that was the sort of the, the broad remit of what you wanted to achieve lee owens from head of brand strategy at twitter tell us what you came up with and how did you get to where we are now yeah yeah so uh building off the back of what jess was just saying um for us the gaming audience on twitter is a very unique audience because they're much more likely to engage with certain pieces of content. And when you think about gamification, obviously this is the type of, of, of audience that's really going to be receptive to that type of thing. So, um, you know, with this idea of, of, you know, kind of emoji generation and how we can kind of engage fans on the ground, we decided to basically build a, a backend system that was tracking all of the engagements of content that was happening across Xbox, um, across these various challenges. So over the course of these three days, fans could like or share content on the platform and literally we're tallying points on the back end for what that looks like you know whether they're completing hashtags they're finding on the ground or hidden qr codes that were placed around the event all of these are different interactions to unlock content and again gain kind of points on a back end and that's really the piece that that's that's kind of a world first for us Lee, you were saying that you were sort of pushing back on Jess and xbox to simplify the gaming uh, structure and to keep it easy and simple and uh, Jess and Xbox were going, no, 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 they like it mean and, and, and hard and difficult. In, 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 if you think about how everything else is going, it's all about dumbing things down and keeping it fast and simple. And then in, in the gaming sector, complexity is rock and roll. So it's a really interesting contrast to the, to the general population. But just tell us your, your, your awakening, Lee. Yeah, you're nailing it. So, I mean, I get a chance to work across a handful of different brands and different verticals and sectors. Um, and for me, anytime we're trying to drive success of a campaign, it's based on how long will the campaign run and how, what's the ease of entry, for, what's the lowest barrier of entry for those users to engage and get that kind of value exchange back. Um, and, and so as we were putting this together, you know, uh, for me, I kept kind of raising my hand saying, well, we to tell everyone exactly how many points they're going to get, put it right in front of them, and make instruction on how to do it really, really easy and clear so absolutely anybody out there can do it. And um, again, me just not necessarily knowing this audience quite as well as Jess and the rest of the Xbox team, um, and quickly realizing that you know, they thrive on this idea of needing to find this stuff out and um, getting an understanding of engaging content to determine what's the points that I'm getting from taking certain engagements was actually part of the value for them in playing the game and part of the experience, which which really just made it so much more valuable. From your perspective, Jess, did Lee and his team say, yes, you're right? So it wasn't until we were actually on the show floor that I think Lee and myself actually realized how intense it was going to be. Um, initially, I had a spreadsheet that had about you know, a thousand different kind of points of data that we were going to, whether it was a hashtag or a QR code or um, that I had to write manually. So it was a, a lot of work in the lead up to it. Um, and I think we had three emoji combinations. We planned for one each day. All three got cracked within the first four hours of the show. And let me just say, this was not an easy crack. So again, you know, we're talking um, of 25 emojis. Guess the correct five 
that represent the particular game that we were talking about. So, you know, as you might imagine, guessing five of 25 is no easy feat, but just the amount of engagement that we saw around it and the amount we saw people leaned in to try to guess actually turned us around to, I think, create another five games over the course of the three-day event. And that mindset, Aaron, that was not a surprise to you then, the, the, the challenge that they took up? No, not at all. I think um, gamers are notorious for cheesing things and not to suggest that this was a moment to cheese, but um, they love solving puzzles and the more complex, the more difficult it is i think the, the the more they'll thrive on it i think back to like halo campaigns like i love bees back in i'm going to get that wrong halo 3 i think it was which is a very subversive innovative campaign that the team threw out um but again that was amazing and i think that just speaks a lot to the way that the community love to to dig up nuggets and get involved and, and more importantly i think engage with each other as well and i think that's one of the things that this campaign forced people to do was you needed to be able to have someone with eyes on the floor and you needed someone that was able to crack codes fairly quickly. And uh, I get it wrong, but I think the winning team was Perth-based. Yeah, the guy that won was based in Perth. Right. So wasn't even at the show. Had teamed up with someone who'd gone around and taken photos of all the hashtags. There were Facebook groups that were being constructed that were sharing information. Um, I think probably the weirdest but most interesting thing was that people were actually tweeting and then deleting their tweets and locking their accounts down setting them to private so that other people couldn't take their guesses. So one of the measurements for success for us quickly became how many tweets have been deleted and how many accounts have been right. closed. It's a weird metric. Yeah, yes. and it's just yes. something, you know, how much non-engagement becomes engagement. It was a really weird but incredibly interesting thing. Lee, the very interesting uh, definition that, that Jess and Aaron talk about uh, in terms of a engagement metric being deleting tweets. In terms of what you see across multi-sectors and across multi-brands, how was this engagement in this community compared to some of the other stuff that you see? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, you know, at the end of the day on social, it all depends on the brand itself, the brand love, and the value exchange for which they're they're kind of uh, taking part in. And, um, you know, the engagement for this campaign and, and some of the components of it um, was, was astounding. You know, the emoji game that we talked about earlier, which, which you know, really is, in my opinion, a very heavy lift and a fairly high barrier to entry to play, um, saw, saw multiple people taking hundreds of entries. Um, in one case, one person did over a thousand tweets um, trying to enter this emoji challenge game. So, um, And it d does lead me to this question to, to Aaron or Jess about the Twitter community for gaming. Um, why Twitter and and it was it was it the technology and and the audience they had or the community they had why twitter with this initiative i think it's it's twofold it's it's one twitter is is a real time platform um so all of that conversation is happening at the time in the moment which is perfect for something that's happening on a show floor um if it was you know, any other platform then we would have had to have redesigned it entirely um but there was also the advantage that a lot of the work uh, had already been done in the back end for previous campaigns that we'd used. You know, it's a tremendous community and growing on the Twitter platform. And I think a lot of people think of major league sports or or big entertainment entities and celebrities. And believe it or not, the gaming community is quite larger than a lot of those others. And, um, you know, back to that idea of an over-indexing around engagement and, and the want for gamification on the platform um, is just this unique behavior which enabled us to bring this campaign to life. Yes, it's all new to me and, and, and fascinating. Aaron, the, in terms of what you expected out of this initiative, your success KPIs, whatever they look like, 
what were they, and tell us them all, everything, please, and then um, and what happens next? Well, I think we were really, really, really pleased with the results of the campaign. I mean, Jess nailed it when he said Twitter was really the only platform where we would have been able to do this on. And I think if I look back at how our social platforms have we've grown over this generation, I mean, we got started with Facebook, we've built a pretty good Instagram profile, and I think, you know, with what we've been able to accomplish with Twitter more recently, it's really exciting um, I think for the future of us in terms of that space. I mean, KPI perspective, I'm just going to close it with we're stoked, couldn't be happier. <laughs> yes. I think, you know, that as a platform, Twitter's going to continue to to play a big role for us. I think particularly around these type of events, whether it's PAX 2020 or our E3 green carpet opportunities coming up in June of 2020 as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that we can do in that space. And I think the platform itself offers, you know, so much opportunity for us. So we're really excited about being able to partner in the future. Jess, as a, as a community manager across all social, is there, is there a, any characteristics that are different or had defined that the, the Twitter uh, audience and your Twitter community versus some of the others? There's a few differences. I think one of my, uh, again, favorite kind of one-liners is that you know, Facebook's where you lie to your friends and family, but Twitter's where you're honest to complete strangers. Right. And it's it's something that I've always noticed, especially from a you know a brand point of view. You know, um, people aren't shy about sharing their opinions, and they're a lot less shy uh, when they're behind uh, a, you know, a character name for or a handle. But really, I, I mean, I think my my favorite thing about Twitter versus uh, the other platforms is because of that that purely conversational interaction that you can have, whether as a brand or as a fan or as you know just some random guy on 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 the internet. Um, I, I get to spend my days, half of my days uh, at least talking to people that love games about games yeah, and I get paid for it. I'm chasing your job. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like it's fun. Lee, the, to wrap up, there is, the, you know, Twitter has had a big push to try and engage brands across multiple, multiple categories and you, that's a really big initiative of yours. Very quickly, some standout other things that are going on in Twitter with, with brand. Uh, it's a big push. Yeah, well, you know, live, we're going to be doubling down on live coming into 2020. So that's going to be a really interesting place to play, especially around the Olympics um, and some of the partnerships we have with the likes of Channel 7 and others. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see um, how those games come to life in 2020. Um, another thing for Twitter is that we're starting to push much more into making it conversational overall for everyone. So, you know, rather than a platform where you're kind of going just to discover content, we're really trying to increase that active conversation that we're having with the community as well as brands and everyone else. Um, and so in 2020, you'll see the introduction of things like topics um, and curated lists of timelines. Um, so the way that you're going to be consuming content and the way they're going to be engaging with people is going to change quite a bit. And all of that is fertile ground to uh, really drive interesting brand engagement. So we're going to see next year then, Aaron, the universe's first Twitter-powered gaming platform rather than just the Earth's. <laughs> what happens next? Next year, you've got some, you, you plan to do something more? Yeah, I mean, sky's the limit. We'll definitely be back at PAX next year, I think, with the um, the promise of Project Scarlet coming for holiday 2020. It, PAX 2020 is going to be a huge year for us. I mean, we, we love the expo and I think what we were able to accomplish this year with Twitter is something we'd like to reignite again given the opportunity next year as well. Uh, gentlemen thank you I've, I'm far more informed now than I was 30 minutes ago and I'm going to uh, pretend that I can talk some gaming language so thanks for coming in and till next year. Pleasure thank you. Thanks Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre that's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater music by Matt Dwyer. 
For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.